Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And taking our breath away, <laughs> we have two gentlemen joining us. We have Hassan and Levi from the Nerd Alternative podcast. Gentlemen, welcome aboard. Hey. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Is it? For this for this I film mean, today? <laughs> you, you guys are the pleasure. This film? <laughs> not, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute, but we just want to thank you for coming on. And uh, <laughs> you guys host The Nerd Alternative. Um, just for those listening right now, how would you describe that podcast and how did it get started? So we are The Nerd Alternative. We are a, a black nerdy podcast where we talk about films, video games, comics, um running the gamut of all things nerdy um through a black lens and trying to talk about representation and bringing bringing voices that you don't usually hear in these kind of spaces to the to the forefront that's that's our (laughs) our nominal aim um we have one other co-host which is ram um me and ram used to work together that's how we met levi as well then because we all love nerdy stuff this is how we kind of got started levi um yeah i thought you was gonna do the the sweet melt and put of all things nerdy. I thought he was going to say the thing, um, but yeah, I, I forgot in my brain. <laughs> um, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head, really. That's all it was. Um, being, I guess, for me, it was looking for sort of a black British podcast that talks about nerdy things on a good level and of intersectionality. And yeah, like you said, I knew. Uh, well, I'm actually going out with Ram. <laughs> She's my girlfriend, and she worked with Hassan, so we kind of just came together and bish bash bosh. We're here. And how long have you guys been running now? Gosh, it's been how long has it been, Hassan? Over a year now, I think. Okay, so you're like a you're a pandemic podcast, like we are in our origins. Yeah, yeah. We if, although we did plan it before we ha- we we got together and then we kind of formulated like you know what sort of things we wanted to talk about, what kind of layout we had, and then we took a long break, and then we done a like a intro episode and then we took a bit of a break and then we got on it in during the pandemic sort of times yeah <laughs> right right um and so you know what are some episodes people should check out if they're interested in you know following up with you guys after this episode oh gosh i mean we just came off a fast and furious episode that's about to drop on friday that's quite interesting um <laughs> i don't know if you want to tell say any of your particular favorite episodes i've got some in mind to be honest if you want to hear me being very angry about <laughs> certain movies, you want to listen to Queen of Slim. <laughs> if you want to hear us being very positive about stuff, we did a Black Games showcase where we discussed a lot of um, uh, Black Games developers, a lot of indie developers. And um, if you want to hear us like genuinely gushing about something that we really love, um, you should check out the Invincible episode as well. I'd recommend those ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. We've got a lot of good reviews, but also we have a like Hassan said, we've done a we do also done a black comic book creator episode where we went through some yeah. comics that were by like small black creators and also what was the other episode I was thinking of? We had a good um comic verse manga episode where we looked into like what makes both of those genres tick and kind of the inner workings of that. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I have to admit, it's kind of what attracted me to your show originally was the, the angle you're coming at it from. Whereas, as you say, there there isn't a great amount of representation in the podcast sphere. 
I would say. I, I think it is a predominantly white male area. And there's a lot of people that sound like Cam and I. And so when I hear a podcast that's got a different slant on things, I, I, I want to check it out because I want to hear different opinions on things that I love. If you got, you did an episode where you were talking about you know, Star Trek Discovery. Oh, yes. And Picard and so mm. on. We're massive, we're massive Trekkies. Me and Cam. So I, I immediately checked straight into that episode. Because, and, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with some of your opinions on it. But <laughs> it's just nice to hear there's other people talking about the shows that I love out there. I mean, that's one of the, uh, for me, like the, the greatest things about starting this podcast is kind of like meeting guys like yourselves and other people and being like entered into this community. And also just finding out new things. I, I personally have always, like comics have always been on my peripheral but now I like read them every week. I check what's out every week. And that's literally as a result of starting this podcast, to be fair. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, spinning off from that now, obviously you joined us on Spy Hearts podcast and we talk about spy movies here. So I- I'll put a question to you both. What is your favorite spy movie and why is it taken two? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's entrapment. <laughs> Leeway, please. Do you know what? I'm I'm about to let everybody down. I am not a big fan of spy movies. Not only that, but I feel like I've not watched a lot of the ones that you are probably about to say. Have you not seen that one or that one? <laughs> we like outside opinions. That's great, actually. It's not like I I specifically dislike anything about the genre. I just don't really watch them. I'm that British guy that hasn't really checked out James Bond. Yeah, that's me. Um. I was I did enjoy the Bourne trilogy though. Um oh, okay, yeah. Okay. I yeah. can't remember. I think it was the second one that I really enjoyed. Supremacy is pretty badass. That's the one we were really got behind as well. That's our favorite, yeah. That's the book one, right? Uh, they're all they're all pretty much books. No, 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 where he kills the guy with a book. Oh. Uh I, I think so. Or was that the one with the newspaper? I can't remember which inanimate object he <laughs> I'm getting my inanimate objects mixed up right now. Yeah, yeah so we'll just uh, say <laughs> the first three borns all great. I think we can agree on that. They're pretty awesome. Um, I I'm kind of like a dabbler. Um, I think I read like a lot more spy books back in the day than I watched spy movies. Um, I read like a bunch of John Le Carre growing up. Um, and Tinker Tailor Soldier mm. Spy, the movie I really enjoyed. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give me anything with a bit of intrigue and some danger, and some and and just some of espionage that I'm going to be in. Um, I did really enjoy um, Atomic Blonde. Weirdly enough, I know this is kind of the the anti spy movie because it's quite an action film, but the setting and the music and it all just kind of fit very nicely in a package that I didn't have to think too deeply into. Nothing weird about it at all. I think Atomic Blonde's a fantastic film. We haven't covered it yet, but we will get to it at some point. And we can't call that a anti-spy movie. Uh, that's because it's an action movie when we're talking about Taken 2. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> the doors are open. I mean, I was going to say, apparently, Fast 9 can class as a spy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're looking at covering, like, 6, oh 7, 8, God, 9, 10, I think. Don't, at, at some don't point. Do at some don't point. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're spies, though. I feel like it's a completionist in me. The guy who does all the achievements in every game I play. Like, I need to do it. Yeah. I tried to watch all of them very recently, and I got 2-7, and it was... It, it got too furious. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm 
Yeah, I'm still thinking about eight every day though. Like I'm like at work thinking, should I watch eight? Which is really bad. Mm, yeah, Fate of the Furious. Yeah, I've I've still not seen it. I've still not seen eight. That's the one that sort of held me back. I'm I'm gonna tell you guys this for free. <laughs> Nine is possibly one of the stupidest movies I've ever seen, and I'm very glad I've seen it. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I mean, I would have said that about eight, probably about seven. seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> maybe going back even to like four four was pretty stupid uh one you know, one five five and six are fun <laughs> yeah, one where they're stealing dvd players yeah yeah oh my god like i I think that's why i enjoyed the most about it is that it still exceeds my expectations in stupid and that i'm like chef mm. kiss <laughs> that's brilliant i remember years ago i just joked to a friend that i was now going to call the franchise mission impossible stupid and um <laughs> It seems to have held fairly true. Like at the time, that was just a total off-the-cuff remark, and then I didn't realize they would really double down on sort of the Mission Impossible um, kind of world, where it's just like this espionage missions with lots of people. Um, I think I said that after like part six or something. Yeah, they're funny there now. Agent skills and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, Levi, as you say, you, you you may not have the best list of of spy films as ones you go to, but Luckily, that's the list that we're creating. So ultimately, when we're done at the end of the day, we can give you the knock list and be like, hey, here's all the spy films you haven't seen and they're all great. Mm. Go watch yeah. them. Oh, actually, I do. You, you, you guys did a Tenet episode that I listened to. I have seen Tenet. I forget that's technically a, a spy film. Not sure what happened, but... No one, no one's sure. It, it oh, was right. a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those head scratchers that I just can't stop going back to rewatch yeah it's a movie that just keeps pulling me in over and over again so it's hard to say that it's not good because it's confusing if it compels me to keep going back yeah it's one of those films that you you feel like the next time you watch it you're gonna get it even though you secretly know that you're not going to but you know <laughs> wishful thinking I was going to say, is Tenant technically like an exercise in insanity then? Because you guys are going back to do the same thing with yeah. expecting a different result? I, but I feel like the results are like adding up. Like I think each time <laughs> it makes more and more sense. So like, you know, I will achieve complete like Tenant sentience in like, I don't know, 2046 or something. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be here for the episode when you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like Neo at the end of the Matrix, just suddenly seeing the numbers on the walls and everything. It'll all come together. Well, I, I think we've uh, we've queued it up, Cam, but what are we doing this week? Well, we are taking on 2012's Taken 2, the sequel to the surprise hit starring Liam Neeson. Now, before we get into our usual patter, I'm going to talk about something that bugs me with this film. Okay. And this is this is like a grand scheme sort of things. Now, listeners may have picked up in the past. I'm really annoyed about a certain film series and its uh, sequel titles. Its film titles have bugged me, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the uh, now you see me film. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And so they do a sequel, and they call it "Now You See Me Too." I know. You know, like it's the biggest fumble in cinematic <laughs> <Yeah>. history. <laughs> It makes the Ben-Hur remake look like, I don't know, a really good film. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, for those who don't get it, the obvious title is Now You Don't. Mm. Like, that's, that's, that's the setup, right? Now, Taken, I started writing down titles to this film that I think are better. 
Okay. That's what I was just about to ask you. So, <laughs> yeah, and it, it bugged me that I jokingly came up with better titles. I, I'll re- I've got four. I'll read them out, and you guys can rate them and tell me what your favorite is. Okay. Or you might have a better one yourself. Okay. So I've got Taken Two, Take Harder. Mm. <laughs> uh, I've got Retaken. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Taken Too Far. <laughs> <laughs> And my personal favorite, Took. <laughs> yeah, Took Took is. I once wrote a poem in. It was for a um, creative writing class in um, grade twelve, and I remember I did one. It was about a. It was inspired by From Dust Till Dawn. I did one about like two brothers on the run kind of thing, outlaws. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I rhymed um, Took with Hook, and I got laughed at by the whole class. So I have a bit. I'm scarred oh, by the word days. Took. I don't like to go there. Um, <laughs> I, I think that maybe just taken two, but use T O O. That might work. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a good yeah. One. It's still more imaginative than what we've got. Yes, it is. I've got one for you. Taken too long. This film. <laughs> <laughs> too long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably the most honest one. I, I I've got nothing, to be honest. Uh, I I'm gonna stick to took or taken too far. Yeah, I, I'm with you on took. Took is great. Okay, so we're going to rename it for the rest of the episode. It's Took. I'm sorry, uh, buddy. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Thanks, thanks. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, I can hear the laughter. <laughs> the mocking. And we haven't even started yet. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so do you guys have any memories of the film from when it came out? Watching it for the first time or anything like that? Uh, I watched it for the first time a week and a half ago. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And subsequently, have watched it twice more. <laughs> well, we've we've got a fan. I yeah. am. <laughs> I'm either a fan or a masochist. One of the two. <laughs> it uh, took your breath away. Ah, ah, I like that. <laughs> oh, hey. I didn't watch this film when it came out. I I think I was in my late teens. So I was very edgy, and I was like, oh, they didn't need to make a second film anyway. So I know when it came out, I just ignored it, and then one day I watched it on tv when it was on television and it literally went in and out the other it just kind of like what it did the last time i watched it the other day actually to be mm-hmm. fair <laughs> fair no not much memories it was i felt nothing both times <laughs> yeah i can i can see that cam what about you so i remember i was reviewing movies at this point for a publication here in vancouver a, a arts publication and so i went to i don't remember if it was a critic screening or just an advance with an audience but um, I remember very much disliking this movie. Uh, the first one, like, I'd enjoyed, and I remember just feeling the lack of sort of energy in the sequel, and also that, um, uh, we'll get to the director, Olivier Megaton, but, like, I don't think he can shoot action to save his life, oh, and I found that days. very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually pulled up a couple quotes from my original review, because, you know, it's oh. always like, what did you think? And it's like, I-, I can't remember. Maybe I liked it. I don't know. But in this case, I actually have... Um, some actual text to back me up. Um, in regards to the action, I was talking about Megaton. I said, he doesn't so much show action as aggressively ap- imply it's taking place. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one line. And then I closed it off with, one could say Taken 2 fires nothing but blanks. However, that would imply it even had the energy to load the gun in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Scathing. Oh wow. 
2012 Cam was witty. Yeah. What happened to him? <laughs> I don't know. He's long gone. <laughs> I mean, you weren't wrong. Okay. So, what about yeah? What about you, Scott? I, I love this film. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the best. Um, no, I I remember watching the first film when there was that sort of taken hype. Everyone was talking about the phone call, the memes. That yeah. that, that was a big thing. And I I, I think I uh, kind of resonate the feeling of um, it didn't need a sequel. Why are we here? Yeah. And so, and so I never went to see it. So I think I actually, I either at one point must have just sort of watched all three and forgotten about them, or I must, or or I watched it for the first time for this podcast. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'll never find out. I'll never know. It is that kind of film that you tell people you haven't watched and then you watch half of it and be like, oh no, I have seen it. <laughs> I didn't mm. watch this once. We, we, were, we felt the same way about Charlie's Angels when we did that recently. We had seen it, but like we couldn't remember anything about it. And then as soon as we got to the film, we're like, "Oh yeah, there's that scene. Oh yeah, there's that scene." But it was just like it just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm having an existential crisis about. I don't know if I've seen Charlie's Angels. <laughs> it's entirely <laughs> possible. I just don't know. But well, there's only one thing to do, Hassan. I no. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Coming next week on a Nerd Alternative, <laughs> it's Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Um, okay, so I think before we get into the background of the film and how we got from one to two, I'm going to quickly read out the letterbox.com synopsis to set up the film for us. So here we are. Taken two. First they took his daughter, and now they're coming for him. <laughs> In Istanbul, retired CIA operative Brian Mills and his wife are taken hostage by the father of a kidnapper Mills killed while rescuing his daughter. I mean, it's a very basic movie. That makes sense to me. I think they summed it up yeah, pretty well. We've had much worse synopsis than that. Synopsy? Yeah. Synopsi? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't mind that one. Uh, doesn't, I don't know much about the film, but I didn't mind that synopsis. No, it's fine. Nah. Um, well, Cam, how do we get from uh, Uno to Dos? Okay, so this is a Europa Corps film, which means Luc Besson was the producer on this film. Uh, he oversees these many European action films coming out of Europa Corps, and he co-wrote this movie with Robert Mark Kamen. This was going to happen as soon as Taken One was a hit. These guys, uh, or Luc Besson, I should say, was behind the Transporter films as well, so if they turn a profit, he'll make a sequel. And I was trying to find some details as to why original director Pierre uh, Morel did not come back. I couldn't find anything really concrete in terms of a, you know, I didn't want to do the sequel or anything. But I know that Morel at this point, you know, a little bit before this, was developing a Dune adaptation. And he was working on that for a while. And he left November 2010. Um, so I'm wondering if he was just kind of burnt out and didn't want to do a sequel to Taken. He was looking at doing something else. But he did have one quote I found just with Grantland where he said, I try not to repeat myself too much. It can be a career move. I'm not a career move guy. So I guess Taken 2 would have been easy money for him and just maybe the appeal just wasn't there that, you know, to repeat himself again. So ultimately they went with Olivier Megaton, <laughs> who was a graffiti artist turned director. Um, he had made a movie in the year uh, about 2000 called Exit, which B uh, Luc Besson had produced. So he'd known Basson for a little while at that point. So they have a relationship that goes for, you know, a significant amount of time. And Megaton was brought on. He did a movie called Red Siren with Asia Argenta. He also did Transporter 3 with Luke Basson. And he also did Colombiana, the Zoe um, Saldana movie. So 
it kind of made sense for him to be brought onto Taken 2 with Luke Besson. And, um, you know, he was approached while he was doing Columbiana. He was wary of doing a sequel initially because Taken was such a hit. But he just decided, why not? He His one thing was, he said, he did not revisit the original when he made the sequel. He wanted it to be its own thing. Um, and just for those curious, uh, Olivier Megaton is kind of a strange name. Um, so Megaton, he actually chose that last name because his birthday is August 6, 1965, which was the 20th anniversary of the Hiroshima bomb in World War II. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, he, he, he looks at it more as a, a great wrong was committed and I should commemorate this event. It's strange that an action director chooses his name for this reason. Like, it's very, very strange. Deeply strange. <laughs> Feels really, really gross. That's very bizarre. I thought he was going to say he chose the name at birth. <laughs> like, he was like he was born, <laughs> and he, when he came out, he said Megaton. But that is, that is, <laughs> that is strange. His poor mother. Good Lord. <laughs> His first words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Olivia Megaton, uh, I think he might be a little eccentric. I'm just going to guess. A teensy bit, yeah. <laughs> now, Liam Neeson... <laughs> Liam Neeson coming back wasn't guaranteed. Um, initially, there was sort of uh, some ongoing back and forth about whether Neeson would come back at all. And so they started looking at some other options. Um, Deadline reported some of the actors being considered were Mickey Rourke, Ray, uh, Ray Fiennes, Ray Winstone, Sean Bean, and Jason Isaacs. <laughs> What a list. <laughs> Any of those jump out at anyone as exciting fill-ins for Liam Neeson. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sad there's no Jeff Bridges. Sean Bean? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you really want your dude version of uh, Brian Mills, don't you? The Mills Abides. <laughs> the, the cardigan. Yeah, the Mills Abides. Why'd you do it, man? <laughs> It's like they didn't take anyone. They just pissed on his rug, so he killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, none of those names like jump out as, as someone I want to see doing this role. But then, I I mean, we'll get into it, but I'm not sure Liam Neeson was doing this role yeah, he either. he didn't jump out himself to do the role, did he? Well, I have a quote from Mr. Neeson about, you know, how he happened upon this movie. So... Um, Liam Neeson uh, gave a quote where he said, When Luke Besson approached me a few years ago, I thought, Come on, Luke, you can't. What? What can you do? And he said, Leave it with us. We're thinking of something. So a couple years ago, I think, they hand me the script. They set it in Istanbul, and I thought, Okay, that's certainly one city I would love to see. <laughs> So basically, Liam Neeson did this movie for a vacation. For a Not even the pay, <laughs> just the holiday. So uh, what, what well, hotel will we be staying at? <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned not the pay, because he got $1 million for the first Taken. He got $10 million for part two. Jeez. So oh. big uh, you know, price hike plus a vacation. Liam Neeson, I think he walked out happy after this one. <laughs> I, saw, I saw an interview where he was saying that... Um, he he would only do it if 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 the script was good and he was reading the script and the script jumped out of him and I think I think, I'm like are you sure he wasn't just reading your contract <laughs> just reading the <laughs> reading the number that he's getting paid and I guess yeah <laughs> the, the pound sign jumped out yeah 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 um one other note of this movie the original film um was very controversial with the Albanian 
uh, population because that movie was not particularly kind towards Albanian people. Mm -hmm. And so Albanian actors actually boycotted this movie and refused to participate. So every character in this movie who's Albanian is not played by someone who is Albanian. Um, To me, that is a sign if you're a filmmaker, hmm, maybe we should change gears. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe Mm -hmm. this is not a great idea. Well, I think this, I, I know, what what they did with Albanians in the first film, we, we noted in our review, but they do something I think is actually, maybe not, I'm not going to say worse, but they make, they commit another egregious offense when it comes to that sort of thing yeah. in this film, which I'll get into. Yeah. So this movie had a budget of $45 million. Domestically, it did $140 million. International, 236 For a worldwide total of 376 This was a hit, and that's 376 in comparison to the first Taken, which did 227 So, Taken 3 was all but assured after this box office. <sighs> the mind boggles sometimes. <laughs> it landed at number 19 for the year at the worldwide box office between Snow White and the Huntsman and Hotel Transylvania. Oh my god. That... <laughs> when did it When, when did it come? 2012, right? Yeah, it was 2012, yeah. I feel like a lot of good films came out that year. Maybe I'm making that up in my head. Well, they did. They did. Just not around the Taken 2 vicinity. Oh, the, the, the window, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the top three for the year. Number one was The Avengers. Number two was Skyfall. Number three was The Dark Knight Rises. So there's three good ones there. Um, but Liam Neeson also had two other movies on the uh, top 200. At number 26, he had Battleship. And at number 27, right next to it, Wrath of the Titans. <laughs> Liam Neeson had quite a oh, 2012. Yes, I remember that film. Oh my, ugh. Forget it, forget it. All right, I've forgotten it. What is this guy doing? Can I, can I, can I, can I just say, right, battle, like, um, Battleship is a film that should never have been made, but now that it's made, I think everyone should watch it. It should be something that we should like study <laughs> academically because these kind of bad decisions can't be made again. <laughs> we, we can't do this again. It's just I, oh, but they will. you know what? I agree with you. I agree with you. That movie, I remember I did review that film, and it's horrendous on a level that I've rarely seen since in blockbusters. Like it's mm. one that should be studied to never repeat that uh that horror show that it was. Mm. I can't remember if it was with you, Cam, if it was on this podcast or if it was somewhere else, but I was talking about Battleship. And I remember because I haven't watched it all the way through. I don't think I could face a film with Rihanna in it. Hmm. Um and so I, I, someone told me that they never at any point say, you sunk my battleship. Oh, yeah, I said that, yeah. Like, why would you miss that? <sighs> it's the same as, like, now you don't, and now you see me. Like, it, how, do, how do you whiff that? I don't know. Like, how do you not have Liam Neeson gruffly say, you know, they sunk my battleship? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's crazy. Crazy. Um, and just to tie off the behind the scenes, um, Neeson did an interview with Collider, during the press for Taken 2, where they asked him if he would ever do a Taken 3. And he said, I don't think so. I think this is the end. I mean, how many times can she be taken? I mean, it's bad parenthood, really, after that. (laughs) After that? (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) After that, you know. I love that they do their own cinema sets. That's that's excellent. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll see you all back for Taken 3, folks. (laughs) Okay. Right, I think uh, I think we've set it up. Let's uh, let's continue to take the piss. Taken two. What do you guys think? I'm going to throw it out to Hassan first. 
and then we'll have Levi afterwards as you're our guests. Now you've sat down and rewatched this film. What do you think about Taken Two? It's um, it's so by the numbers that you'll hit a point where you like. I think every half an hour you forget the half an hour before. <laughs> That's how aggressively okay this movie is at doing anything. Like they they're not like um, except for the combat, which is actively bad. Everything else is aggressively okay, and that makes it worse somehow. That's that's my take so far. Okay. Um, I wouldn't even say okay. I think this film was really boring. Mm. Um, I think there was a very particular thing that made the first film so popular and well received. I didn't rewatch it, so my memory on it's a little bit hazy, but. Obviously, you have the phone call and um, Brian, as he's called in this film, doing his agent skill thing. But in this film, it just kind of was like just him tied up. Um, I, I, I'm not really a fan of Maggie Green in this. Maggie Gray, sorry. In in like, you know, the 30-year-old teenage girl or whatever she's doing. Um, <laughs> and I just thought it was really bland. And, and, and any time it did get into action, like, my brain was having a seizure because of how quickly it was cutting. Um, the, the the quick cuts were just way, they were quick cutting for like just showing Liam just running down a hallway. It was really kind of weird. You know, when you watch them parody films, when they do this and it's like during the quick cut, they clearly show the stunt double, like f- f- as a laugh. I thought like a minute, I was just going to clearly see like a stunt double fighting in the middle of this scene. It was, it was cut that quickly. <laughs> It was just really. I was just so bored. Yeah, so so bored. I'm 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 convinced he can't run. <laughs> he just takes a step and they just quick cut they, it from six angles. They need to. They need to. He's like he has to catch his breath every step. So like right, change the angle quickly, change places, and then like it takes him about a week to get him running down a corridor. But it's worth it, you know. He gets to spend more time in Istanbul. <laughs> yeah, mm. <laughs> it's all a ploy. Like, what about you, Scott? <sighs> it's it's a strange one because part of me enjoyed this film. What part? And mm. what part? <laughs> a sick and twisted <laughs> part, apparently. The, the sadist in me. The sadist. No, there's yeah. there's a, there's a couple of things that we didn't like about the first one, and one of the things was the indiscriminate murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And and this film is about the consequences, and I liked that. I liked that there was a consequence to his actions. Not that that really mattered because he overcame all of the consequences, but <laughs> the the concept that there was consequences, I liked that, and I kind of I appreciate it from that angle. I appreciate the fact that Maggie Grace kind of got to be a badass. Mm. It's always nice to see strong female characters in films. You don't get them enough, um, and that was great. But I mean, this is my I wrote down my 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 quick thoughts, and that is an improvement on the original in some areas, but derivative in others. And one of the things that really hurts this film for me is I'm not I'm not sure if it's the same in North America, but certainly here, this film went from an 18 to a 12A. Ah, uh, mm. yes, yes, yeah, yes. And so there's there's uh, one of the things that the, the first film has going for it, much as it, Cam didn't like it in our review watching the film, is the sort of graphic betrayal of what's happening to the girls that are, are taken. And, you know, and, and Brian is vicious in taking down these enemies to get his daughter back. Whereas this feels like a soft core version of that film. 
Well, I actually have a response to that from a, as a North American. Um, the original Taken over here was edited down to be just like this. So when I saw Taken 2, it looked exactly the same in terms of the violence as Taken 1, really. Um, that was just what they did for that first one. I know internationally, like, where, where you guys are, you saw the original Taken in a very different form than we did. Um, it wasn't until home video that they put out the more violent graphic cut. Oh, that makes sense. But, like, did you still see all the stuff, like the, the girls with the heroin needles on the floor and stuff? Did you, I mean, was that on your cinematic release? There was some. I feel like there was less. I think right. they did cut out some of it. Okay. I, I, but, okay, my overall thoughts are that it, there's some bits I liked that I think that it improved on, but overall it is a derivative version of the first one. You, you, you said something about, like, when they were trying to, like, when he was trying to, like, get the you know, girls back during the auction and things like that in the first one. And to me, those things really, like, added a sense of urgency and, like, tension, where it's like, if he doesn't get her, she's going to be on this boat as a, as a slave forever. Yeah. And I feel like those stakes were just totally absent in this film. Well, the first one had, like, a ticking clock scenario. Yeah. That he had to get, he had 48 hours to get his daughter back, or you would never hear from her again. Mm. She'll disappear. This doesn't really have a ticking clock. It's more of a case of, oh, they're having a jolly on holiday and then he has to kill people to get his wife back. But there's no, like, there's no tension and there's no action and there's no gore. Well, I don't say gore. I mean, like, there's no violence or interesting action sequences. So you don't have anything to latch on to. I mean, they kind of introduce a ticking clock at one point where Famke Jansen's character has been kidnapped and they, like, do this you know, very small cut in her throat and hang her upside down. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they say that she'll have, they say that she'll have half an hour to live. I guess that's their attempt at a ticking clock. And also notably, they score a whole sequence to the song Tick of the Clock um, from Drive. They actually ripped a section of the score out of Drive. So it's like they really want to at least subliminally get across that there is a ticking clock. But I I agree, it you don't really pick up on it at all. The movie... I'll just give my thoughts. Like, I found Taken 2, when I first saw it the first time, as I, you know, said in my, you know, review quotes there, like, I really did not like it at all. This time, I feel like my hatred for it dimmed. It was just, like, kind of a bland, dull movie. Mm -hmm. And like has been said, the action is pretty horrendous. I thought the car chase was actually an improvement over the car chase in the original, which was really muddy. But beyond that, it just... It's weird how this movie, it's the same length as the first one, so why does it feel so much longer? Yeah. It just doesn't have any of the energy, it feels very very lethargic, and generally with a sequel, you kind of want to ramp it up in some ways, and this movie almost feels like it's taking a step back. I, the first one, it's propulsive. I don't think the original Taken is like a masterpiece by any stretch, but it's propulsive, and it carries you through that 90 minutes, whereas this one, a lot of it felt very slow. A lot of just Liam Neeson kind of wandering around... Maggie Grace throwing grenades at objects for some reason. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into grenade sonar in a bit, but um, it just felt very like it was, it just felt like it was dragging. And Olivier Megaton is a director who I would think, just from his style, is a guy who wants things to have kind of a breakneck, uh, breakneck pace, a la, you know, like a Paul Greengrass or something, but it's not there. It's just like this pastiche of action scenes and then very little energy whatsoever around it. Yeah. That was about, um, I think, maybe uh, when I checked like 30 minutes before anything actually happened. And this film is about an hour and a half. 
So I think, mm. but when they first got to the hotel, that was like 30 minutes in. <laughs> it was like a third of the film of just them, you know, Liam being best dad. I will, I will defend that though. The first <laughs> film is exactly the same. The first film you have the, you know, the, the scene at the party with the karaoke machine and the horse and the silly running um, <laughs> that we made fun of no end in our first episode. Um, and so you, you get a while until she's on tour with you too and she's taken. That's about 30 minutes. Yeah. I would say though, Scott, you know, since these are both fresh in our minds, like, didn't you find the first half hour of the original Taken just way more fun in how dorky it was? Like, this one... It set up some stuff, you know, Maggie Grace is taking driving lessons, she has a boyfriend, and Liam Neeson's being really creepy about that. Oh, the boyfriend. Um, but it just didn't have the, like, really awkward hilarity of the first half hour of the original. Well, you, you in the first half hour of the original, you get that little takedown when he's with Holly Valance's character, and that you see mm. a little bit of what Brian Mills could do. Whereas this one, it's all just, you know, dad being awesome. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's he's also super smug now. I mean, he's being super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is. Uh, I mean, th- that's an abuse of power if I ever did see it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like one thing with like the 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 way they start the movie. They set up like a lot of Chekhov guns. Um, the driving is like the most kind of egregious one because mm-hmm. they they set it up three times in the movie in thirty minutes, which is kind of egregious if you're trying to like propel a plot anywhere other than a driving lesson um they the the with his tracking skills and with like her trying to like take back her power from the first movie they 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 kind of set up like all the way the stakes were going to go so like i as as i was watching the movie i I just kept having moments i was just like you said all of this in the first 10 minutes why am i watching it you know what i mean yeah, it's not a smart movie. Like, it <laughs> yeah. very much assumes the audience is kind of mm. dumb, which really does drive me nuts. Because you can make a, you know, quote-unquote dumb entertainment that doesn't talk to the audience like they're dumb. This movie is just... I don't even know if it's cynical so much as it's lazy. It just assumes, uh, we, we let's just hit that again just in case they forget. It feels just, like, very lethargic. And it's weird because you have, as you said, all these setups for the driving stuff. But, like... There's a scene where, like, it shows her parallel parking and it goes through, like, 17 cuts to show this car parking. (laughs) It's like (laughs) great energy is being expended in showing her driving and yet the actual storytelling is so, like, lazy. It's a weird contrast. (laughs) I'm trying to think of, like, bits I liked. And I always make a, I always try towards the beginning of the episode when we're doing the review to talk about things I liked before I get into the nitpicky or or critique and i struggled with this film but i'm not that's not to say there was bits i really disliked i just think there was so much middle of the road there was just so much beige well i think you touched on one i at least for me i agreed with you scott um that maggie grace's character i thought was much improved from the first one and that i liked that she was active in helping solve the problem it wasn't kind of the damsel in distress of the first movie and she kind of dropped the really awkward you know kind of ticks that she was doing in the first one like the running and the swinging her arms a lot it felt like it was a character who'd matured so like i'm not saying maggie grace is delivering an oscar worthy performance here but it felt <laughs> yeah, like i was just gonna say <laughs> yeah no that's actually exactly what i'm gonna say right now that she was robbed <laughs> at the 2012 oscars no um <laughs> no but it felt like you know if you're gonna hand out like a uh most improved 
I felt like she, you know, warranted that. Also, I thought like Famke Jansen's character, the performance was fine in the first one. It's fine here too. But I felt like the character wasn't written as brutally as the first mm. time. Like in the in the first Taken, she's written to be thoroughly unlikable right from the get-go. It's immediately that like, well, clearly dad's right. And, you know, the ex-wife is horrible. Yeah. Whereas I felt here there was a little more humanity. It's still pretty, you know, two-dimensional stuff. But at least I could get on board with that character in some way. I couldn't in the first one. I feel like that maybe was because that um what's that character's name Lenore um she was kind of getting back with Liam's character so we're supposed to like her now I guess I don't know if the one of the writers was having some issues with his ex-wife or something I don't know I think that's what you're supposed to to get you're supposed to have her on side now because they're trying to complete the family yeah so now she's a mm-hmm. good guy whereas she was meant to be the cold-hearted bitch that left him yeah, <laughs> in the first one, which is as boring and and you know obvious a, a joke as you can make, but you know, I I appreciate that they're trying to evolve the character. I I wouldn't say I got much more out of Femke Jansen in this one, but uh, no. but in Maggie Grace, uh, yeah, I, I agree. That's probably my favorite bit. Seeing her, you know, using the map, uh, <laughs> you know, the grenade sonar, as I'm sure we're going to talk about. It, it at least you know she's doing that bit where she's out on the the window ledge. Oh yeah, she gets a cool yep. little action scene, you know. She gets the, she gets her moment, which is nice. I, I, I would, you would think that Brian would have like taught his family some things, maybe after, especially after the first film. I, I don't know why he didn't even give them a little, I don't know, taekwondo lesson or something. <laughs> you can't even teach her how to drive properly. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think a guy that obsessive, you know, a guy who's putting GPS in his yeah. daughter's cell phone so he can follow her. You'd think this would be a guy who would be like, okay. Um, I killed a lot of people. They may want revenge. I am going to have, you know, my daughter and ex-wife basically as trained as I can get them. And we are going to be prepared in case something goes awry. And clearly his whole thing is just, no, I'm going to obsess over them. And they are just going to be kind of annoyed by me. Like he's obsessive, but he doesn't actually take the extra step to try to make them active agents. He wants to be just the protector. Yeah, Kind of controlling. It's a bit weird. Mm hmm. He's a weird dude, right? Like, we talked a lot about Brian Mills in our original Taken interview. I'm just curious from both of you, maybe starting with Hassan, what are your thoughts on just the character of Brian Mills? Uh, he's a he's a power fantasy for right-wing nuts, essentially, is what I feel about him. He's... Yeah. <laughs> he's an incredibly problematic yeah. character for me. Um, it's got that thing where it's like, um, America, I'm going to go to another country. America, I'm gonna hit you with that justice. Like that's that's kind of him in a nutshell. But mm-hmm. even with the people that he's meant to be protecting, even the people that he's meant to be nurturing, he's incredibly toxic and controlling. And I, I, I can't for the life of me root for him in any of the movies. Like um, e- even with Lenore, I'm just like, you, you got out of this relationship. <laughs> you could have run away. What are you doing? And I don't think things are going to change for the better with him. Like, you get the sense, like, um, their, you know, relationship was um, very much put on the side because of all his missions in Beirut and what have you. But just judging from his behavior here, I don't get the sense Brian Mills has really turned over a new leaf. But I'm curious, uh, Levi, where do you come down on Brian Mills? I mean, I was just going to say what you just said, that he's he's always been proven right, according to the film. So there would be no reason for him to change, would there? Mm-hmm. Um but I, I every literally everything Hassan just said. There's this thing about like these films where you get this. Usually, it's like a white American male going to these 
you know, these countries with these like vagueish Middle Easterny brown people, and you, like you're just because you're in these countries, you're just able to like blow stuff up and just kill people and shoot loads of people, and you know, you, it's it's almost like the people that they're making this film for, they they don't even think of that country as like as a, a normal country, if that makes sense. It's just like yeah, they're just they'll they'll sort it out, I guess. <clears throat> but I, I, again, like I said before, there is this weird level of control that this guy has. But I think this film is not a film that you're supposed to really critically analyze, like, like have a character analysis of these characters and and things, because then it, it seems a bit weird. I mean, you know, they're drinking in the middle of the day. This guy is here talking to his ex-wife about her husband. There's this weird kind of slimy level of control. Like this guy wants to wants all of his family under his thumb. And I've watched a lot of true crime documentaries about people like that. Mm, yeah, and it's notable as well. I think just to mention, you know, this is a character co-created by Luc Besson, who himself is a very problematic figure. The Me Too era has um, revealed a lot of information on him, and so it's hard now. I find to watch his movies without being influenced somewhat by a lot of the real world circumstances surrounding him. And I think you look at elements of control in Brian Mills, it's just kind of a little bit of a skeezy vibe in these Taken movies that I just find a little a little awkward now. I mean, it was awkward even then. There was no shortage of writing on the problematic elements of Taken films back in, you know, 2009, 2012. But now it just has a little bit of an extra layer. Well, seeing as we're here... Um... I, I suppose naturally I want to bring up one of the issues I had. Yeah. And that is something I noticed in the evolution between one and two. So I suppose I, I kind of telegraphed this earlier, but in one, he's indiscriminately killing Albanians. And that, that's a country. Uh, and so obviously the Albanians didn't like that. There was some kickback. In this film, I mean, I'm not going to say it's necessarily as a film, but I feel like there's some Islamophobia going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. a smidge. Just a smidge. I mean, you've got, like, weirdly, like, still shots of mosques just in action sequences when people are being shot, and then you'll just have a... It'll just hang on a mosque. I, and yeah. I don't know why that was a choice. And I, oh, I, I think I know why that was a choice. I just wish I didn't. And And things like, you know... Before the villains in the last film was nondescript, they didn't necessarily have an affiliation or anything like that. Whereas now they've they've chosen to have them, you know, greet each other, but you know, Allahu Akbar. They they're saying that to each other and they and they're adding that this this characteristic into these villains. They're giving them a religion and as if it's like a rallying call mm -hmm. to have us be against them. That, that yeah, and and that that concerns me. That was like their only descriptor this time around. They were Muslim. <laughs> Before yeah. they were just, I don't know, grunts. Now they're Muslim grunts. And that was a frustration for me with the first go around when I saw this movie was you have um, Raid Sabergia as the villain. And um, I remember thinking, like, if you're going to do a Taken 2, you need an antagonist that's really worthy of, like, a sequel. Like, we've seen Brian Mills be, you know, just this, like, unstoppable force through the first one. You have to have a very strong antagonist. And I feel like. As you said, Scott, they're setting up a very problematic, you know, group of villains in this movie. But also, like, they aren't interesting. There's no depth. So that's all you can read into them. You can only read their religious background. I was even noting throughout the movie, like, their dialogue is completely perfunctory. 
it's like they aren't actually talking about anything other than, okay, she's on the move. Grab her. Put her in the car. NPC dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The most you get is like... <laughs> the most you get is the villain just finally expressing, you know, his feelings about his son. But we saw in the first one, his son was doing horrible things. And then, you know, the father doubles down about how he's going to sell off Maggie Grace's character to the lowest bidder. And, oh, he goes in this real dark tangent. And I'm like, this is really ugly. Like, this is taking it to a level that I think is kind of really inappropriate to be putting in a PG-13 movie or, as you said, like a 12 movie. Well, the, the best villains are the people that we can, you know, maybe understand their plan. Or maybe see ourselves in and maybe uh, making the same choices. Whereas choosing for him to have that scene where he says, I'm going to sell your daughter off until, and then she's going to be destroyed until there's nothing left of her but a sack of meat. I'm not rooting for him anymore. The guy's a jerk. <laughs> I think that was the point. Yeah. Though. I, I, maybe the writers uh, knew that, like, is this guy really bad enough right now? Like, he hasn't really, we haven't shown him to be a bad person. He is technically getting revenge. So let's just have him say or do something really gross just to confirm that don't don't root for him yeah you want the villain to be kind of the hero of their own story and you also want to understand what their motivation is and i think him wanting revenge is i mean it's it's a boilerplate motivation but it kind of makes sense i like the idea of as you said scott there's consequences for what he did in the first one but if you had made this a fully rounded character, and I know that's a real ask in a Taken movie, but if you had made him a character who had character traits, um, something we could at least derive some sort of meaning or personality from, you might at least look at him as more of an actual character versus here, he's kind of a nothing. Like, he's really, really forgettable. And it's really just that line he throws in at the end, of, you know, about what he's going to do to the Maggie Grace character that you go, ugh. Yeah. Everything else, I was just shoulder shrugging through everything he did in the rest of the movie. I think it's by design. They they kind of want like this, this like blank sheet that they can tick off certain like rallying cries for the demographic that they're aiming at, like this this very right wing kind of demographic that they're aiming at with Brian Mills. So they go, he's bad. Why is he bad? Because he's Muslim. Okay, is that enough? No, no, no. Okay, let's let's say something horrible. You're right. They they don't want to really like put in the effort to like make him a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th one of the other things I noticed about this film, with this character in particular, with uh, the villain, is it has a chance of redemption at the end, where it could have made an interesting story, and yet it doesn't do that either. Mm. I mean, that guy's so far gone at that point. Once you've strung up like uh, Famke Jensen in like Cut Her Throat, I don't know that there's a, a, a road back, but I, I did appreciate that the movie had that moment of Liam Neeson being like, I'm tired of it all. And it's like, yes, I agree, Liam. So am I. But uh, <laughs> you're right. Like, there is a more interesting film there, like, about healing of, you know, uh, like, obviously trauma on both sides. But this is not the franchise to be tackling that theme at all. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, do you, do you guys play uh, video games at all? I don't. Uh, Scott, you do. I, I, I play some video games. Um. I don't know if you've played The Last of Us. Hassan's gonna groan. <laughs> I played the first one, not the second one. Oh, so the second one, I would argue, actually deals very. It has a. It's a literally this exact sort of theme of like the actions of the first game is literally directed the actions of the second game to the point where you play as someone that is trying to revenge, get revenge on Joel, sort of thing, and. 
it's just an example of how you can actually explore something like that and what i would say is executed well to be fair the film is um it has a lot of things it could have done so even if you go right back to the beginning with the maggie grace character you know she's been through a very 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 traumatic experience and we could have been dealing with her problems and her uh, her overcoming issues uh, and dealing with you know the anxieties and, and and the mental health repercussions of being taken and then you've got the villain who could have maybe walked away and forgiven him himself and you know absolved himself as well but it didn't make the the hard choice it made the silly obvious choices and it also sets it up for another sequel where the villain says at the end you know just before he's killed my sons will come for sure and it's like well, <laughs> i'm lucky they they don't they don't actually they don't <laughs> oh really i feel like that kind of leans into the, the 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 propaganda of of the film a little bit you know like you're not these people are you know they they, mm. they you can't reason with them do you know what i mean like that sort of thing going on um i feel like the film is the whole film is exuding the personality of brian mills somehow if that makes sense like the the, the family don't really have agency that they're, they're just important to be protected but not as people so don't i wouldn't really expect them to really flesh out the characters because the writer probably doesn't really care about um Kim Mills, all in all, it's all about Brian, isn't it? Well, it's the it's the it's the make Brian look good show. Yeah, <laughs> best dad, best dad series. The movie supports the worldview of of Mills. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> did Luke Benson write this? He did. He co-wrote it. Yes. Do you think that he uh, Brian Mills is an insert of Luke Benson? <sighs> it's it's entirely possible. Mm. Um. Because you think about the ages, I think Luke Besson would be a similar age as Liam Neeson. So uh, it wouldn't shock me. I think the uh, the other writer was actually about the same age as well. So it probably is that older guy, um, you know, power fantasy of I can still be an action hero. I think that's mm. an element. And I think they were both, you know, fathers. So I'm sure there's an element <laughs> to that as well. Well, at least this film didn't have you two. <laughs> I was really hoping for a Shawadi Wadi tour. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> We've danced around it, but let's get to the grenade sonar of it all. Because, uh, like, I think. Wait, 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 Cam, wait for it. Two, one, <laughs> three, three, four. There it is. Go on, go on, Cam. Go on, Cam. Four yeah. and a half. <laughs> I feel like Taken 2, one of its biggest sins is that it doesn't go insane. Like, if you're going to make a sequel, I don't expect it to be good. Um,. But let's just have fun with the entire craziness of the action and all that sort of stuff. All the Liam Neeson skills that we saw built up so effectively, I think, in the first one. Um, This movie doesn't really do a whole lot new. But the one thing it does do is that Liam Neeson has a sonar. So Maggie Grace, if she throws grenades, he can time <laughs> the explosion with when he hears the explosion and determine where he is. Um, this was insane, and I wish we had more things like it. Well, it, it's it's not even that. She just Im indiscriminately is able to throw grenades around Istanbul, uh, yeah. and no one bats an eyelid. No one cares, apparently. No one cares about anything. And also, every time she throws one, she, he's like, throw it in a place where there's no one around. So she immediately, like, <laughs> she throws it, like, under a car, against a water tower, like... Is there no open fields? Is there nothing? Like, just look at an area of the roof where there's not something, like a structure that can be destroyed. Aim away from the structures, Maggie. 
Do you, do you think like um, I, I think me and Leroy were talking about this in our in our last episode as well, where like what do you think is like the roof of crazy though? Like Liam Neeson takes himself. Is that the level we want to go to with this franchise? <laughs> <laughs> he takes himself i I mean to me there's no dignity in this franchise so do whatever you want you know we touched on like fast and uh, furious movies earlier like just go insane i don't care have liam neeson going to space in the third one i don't (laughs) care like it's not like i'm looking at you know say like um well the Bourne movies you set up that first Bourne movie it's a really terrific introduction to that world i don't want the second Bourne movie for him to be like leaping monster trucks over you know flaming buildings like i don't want to see that because i actually have respect for that world whereas taken who cares yeah. like i don't care like it really annoys me as well that like in the first film we set up his three buddies oh and then in this God. film they do nothing like this is talk about paycheck jobs the three guys who play his friends uh, john grease um Leland Dorser and D.B. Sweeney replacing um David Warshawski they have like what like 45 seconds of screen time like why not have those guys come to Istanbul and help Liam Neeson at least that's new it feels like escalation for a franchise it's something as opposed to nothing I have a working theory oh no, no I want to hear this go for it go for yeah. it theory me those three guys aren't his friends they're watching him <laughs> they're waiting for him to explode you know, they're all just waiting for him to explode because they're like, this guy is clearly got something wrong with him. When he left the CIA, maybe he was pushed out because, like, he doesn't seem right in his head, you know? Like, there, there's, like, a lot of weird controlling behavior, a lot of really dangerous and violence that, like, bubbles just under the surface, just waiting for another taken moment. Who knows? I'm disappointed now. I thought you had a theory for how he was going to take himself. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'll work on that. By I, the end of the episode, we'll see. I might have it involves one. involves time travel. I, well, yeah, it does, yeah. I, I think I've got it, actually. Um, Ooh. Uh, so, in theory, to uh, find the bad guy, he sets himself up to be taken. And he organizes people to take him, and so he can get to the bad guy. That's too logical, though. That's actually uh, yeah. a good idea. Yeah. This sounds like a but, film uh, I but... watched the other day. Yeah, yeah. Was, I've heard of these this. These people hire this guy to kidnap him and do stuff. And, yeah, but I've seen movies that did that. I'm not going to reveal it because it's actually a major twist in the movie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I can think of one. Well, just to go back to Cam's point about the, the his buddies, I mean, it makes perfect sense within the, the the continuity of the Taken series that they would be on the mission with him in Istanbul because they were trying to get him back in. They got him the job at the concert for Holly Valance. So why was he not working with them in Istanbul? There's a bit where they're on a golf course and he calls them. Yeah. (laughs) And literally the scene ends with, I believe it's Leland Orser saying, Bri's in trouble in Istanbul. Yeah. (laughs) That is the scene. (laughs) Make sure we don't get shot at the embassy. (laughs) And that was like the scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh God, it's so frustrating because I don't even think it's a stretch to... Uh, come up with the idea of adding them to the action in the movie. It the fact that it, the the writers somehow overlooked this or just didn't want to do it is mind boggling to me. Well, couldn't they be taken? Taken for? Well, no. The audience the audience wouldn't care though, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that that is true. That is true. Well, they could be the taken for. That's it. Exactly. If we're making it a literal title, it, it is a weird um underutilization of the because i can't remember if the characters had more to say in the first films but it's like 
you've named them. They all have one line at the barbecue or whatever. It's like, why, why are they actually, why, is, why do they exist? I think it's just to make it look like Liam Neeson has friends. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, that he's not like a like lone psychopath wandering the streets. <laughs> <laughs> buying karaoke machines and uh yeah. yeah and maggie grace isn't actually his daughter <laughs> it was actually a... that's taken five <laughs> yeah. the, the twist is it turns out that the boat was actually like all consensual and she and she actually was trying to marry the sheik on the boat but he actually just went in and shot everyone yeah yeah, oh, yeah. they're hostages and yeah. this was their escape yeah it's the twist the buddies had more to do in the first one, but not by much. It was like they were introduced. They had a couple of lines of dialogue. I think Leland Orser helped them out um, just via phone or something like that. But again, wasted potential, wasted potential. But speaking of wasted potential, the first Taken movie, say what you will about it. It had pretty propulsive action. Mm-hmm. People walked out of that movie very much satisfied with seeing Liam Neeson take down, you know, these villains. Um the action in this movie, we've said up front, it's bad, but does anyone want to cite any real specific examples or just delve further into how incompetent the action is in this movie? I've, I've got one in particular that I'm still furious about. The the last takeout where he where he's fighting the last bad guy. Yes, and, I know what you're going to say. And goes, oh, like he, it looks like he slaps his chest like as his killing move. I was just like, you have this big fight, like which is also really badly shot. So, like every time there's about to be a connection in a punch or a kick, they switch to a different angle to to take away any sort of tension or feeling in that hit. And then they have this big moment where they're wrestling on the ground, and then Brian is gonna break his neck or whatever. And it literally just looks like he slaps him on the chest rather than doing any real damage in it. It's massive music. You, if you recorded a pub, a brawl in a pub and shot it with a hundred quick shots, it would look like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it I, wasn't even that bit of that fight that I thought you were going to mention. You say the eye closing thing. Oh, it, it wasn't, it was the, when they lock pistols. Oh. Yeah. Mm. And it's, it's like <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Did you? I, I I thought they were just trying to do the Matrix with uh, Agent Smith and Neo, but like it was the crappiest version you could imagine of them shooting each other and doing the the three sixty shot. That's why I really enjoyed it because I was like, I finally have something I can laugh about. <laughs> I remember being infuriated by his takedown of the main villain, um, you know, Maraud. Um, in the theater, I remember no one that I talked to had any idea how he'd killed that guy. Um, he just kind of puts his hand on Raid's face. Well, that's the thing. The hook behind his head is not set up. It's There's no establishing shot to indicate that he's actually impaled his head on a hook. Okay. It's done so quickly that I remember walking out. Everyone was like, I guess he did some sort of skull crush on the guy. <laughs> and I went through... I went through reviews, and a lot of reviews couldn't even describe it properly. I think um, Roger Ebert's review, he also says there seems to be some sort of skull-crushing maneuver in the final fight. The fact was it's done so sloppily, because I know they um, were inspired by the movie Midnight Express um, to do this fatality, and just in execution, I'm sure a lot of it is skirting around the um, lower rating, but it's so, so sloppy. Like, you could have easily, you know, Scott, like, there's movies we've done where people get impaled or, you know, there's Indiana Jones fights. It's all about just proper setup and payoff. And this movie 
does not like to do that. And in this final moment, which should be like the big catharsis of Liam Neeson has won the day, I guess. You need that. And the movie fails miserably. Yeah. Um, one thing I did notice that was kind of funny, or maybe I wasn't paying attention, was um, when he was when <clears throat> when when Lim was like retracing his steps to get um Famke Jensen when she was like after he'd escaped and then dropped his daughter at the embassy and decided to leave the embassy by himself and for whatever reason, I just liked the way that everyone was doing exactly the same things. Like the man was still there playing the violin. The kids were still, it was like, I just thought of some, <laughs> some weird Truman show situation that he's just like walking through the street and they're just, these people are on a schedule every day. <laughs> Big NPC energy. <laughs> Big NPC energy. I mean, I was laughing my head off when Liam Neeson's got the hood on over his head and he's in the van. And he's like, yeah. right turn. <laughs> birds definite birds i hear birds but the birds (laughs) flew over his head when he walked up that road again (laughs) so special birds i guess i don't check of seagulls (laughs) the the birds were in on it they were maybe that should have been taken three is liam neeson and his bird army (sighs) that's how birdemic starts (laughs) i will say though there was a um real lack of escalation and i think that was like a really big miss for them like this guy took out i don't even know if anyone counted how many guys he killed in the first film and um murad's big move is to send more of the same type of guy after him and even when they catch him just leave him tied in a room it was just really for me it was really i guess like like he said um scott it's just lazy it's really lazy. You're, you're, you're telling these people, this man killed all of our men, and you're just treating him like he's just any any Tom, Dick, or Harry, really. Well, here's, a, here's actually a point I wrote down I wanted to sort of throw out there to ask everyone. Did you feel like there was a, a lack of energy after they got to the embassy? Yes. Throughout the entire yeah. movie, but yes, for yes. sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Like, it, it, this film drags. And, and you're right when you said earlier, Cam, that it actually feels longer than the first one, despite having the same runtime. But they get they go for this really cool car chase. And I have to say, as an aside, if you go on YouTube and type in Taken 2 behind the scenes, there's a really cool uh, BTS video of them shooting the car chase. And they've put loads of GoPros around where they shot. And you can actually see the stunts being done in reality without any of the effects and stuff that's actually really interesting to see and i liked that car chase i thought it was a lot better than the one along the shore in the first one that cam was not a big fan of mm, yeah um but then they, they arrive at the embassy and how he gets away from the embassy is anyone's guess. Yeah. i mean <laughs> you know, he, he's plowed saying. through the u.s <laughs> army basically <laughs> you know he's gone through the whole barricade it, it, it says a lot about u.s protection that he just drove through it in like a citroen c1 but and then he just seems to walk out okay but then like it, he has to go back and get uh femke jansen's uh character of lenore but i think the film's dead at that point yeah um the car chase is like kind of the highlight and it's not look this is not the you know born supremacy car chase of the taken franchise like it's functional like it does its job but at least that's something I can say about the car chase. Like, it does its job. It's a decent car chase versus everything else going on in the movie with all the action. So, yeah, like, the thing is with these movies is... <sighs> the movie never sets up, really, that Liam Neeson would ever have to have any sort of 
potential blowback for anything he does. Like, so yeah, he crashes the consulate and they're like, okay, cool. Head back out there. And that's the whole thing with this character. And for a character who is a former spy, maybe this is where it ties into the whole Spy Hards podcast and why we chose this franchise. Like, this is a guy with CIA training. Like, I think the movie would be more interesting if they doubled down on these skills he has. Like, this is a guy who would probably have to keep a low profile. He'd have to scout out these bad guys and keep, you know, himself hidden, but also working in like a, you know, like a very like stealth attack mode. That to me is more interesting than just like, <laughs> like just racing around the streets, destroying everything in sight, running through, you know, the classic fruit carts and all that sort of thing. Like, I would rather see Brian Mills being the equivalent of like a James Bond or whatever on a stealth mission. Me too. Me too. They didn't really set make these these villains. They made, I, I never felt like um, Liam Neeson was ever in danger. So when when he was no. going back, it was just like oh, he got out easily enough. He's just gonna go back in and kill some more guys, I guess. Like there was not even like even the last guy. He didn't really seem menacing enough that I'm like oh he's might pose a bit of a threat. Really, it was just like oh just Liam doing Liam stuff. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest downfalls of this film, apart from the fact that Liam Neeson feels like he's just not there at all, is that there was some tension in the first film. You 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 were you were unsure if Maggie Grace's character was going to survive, and you genuinely felt for her, and you didn't know what was going on. Whereas this film not only tells you that Lenore is fine, so you don't you don't worry that she's dead or not. Um, it, there's no tension as to who is going to survive, and also you don't particularly care about Lenore. Yeah, uh, you you care about Maggie Grace because she's a, a a child in the first film, or she's portrayed as a child. She was 25 when she acted that role. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think she just watched too many episodes of uh, Friends with Phoebe running and just got an idea. But um, yeah, I, I, there's no there's no tension. There's no drama in this film, and there's barely any acting. All it has is a couple of good action sequences. Yeah, and like the thing is with the villains in the first one, like um, Maggie Grace's friend, um, or was it cousin or whatever, dies, and like I think that scene's pretty gross, but it does set up like bad things can happen to characters we've seen in this movie. This one, the villains never actually achieve anything like that. The closest they get is they kill the inspector from the first movie, <laughs> yeah. but. Honestly, that was a moment where when it happened, I paused the movie to look up whether that was the same character because I'm sure when I saw this movie in 2012, I had no idea who that dude was. Like, there's no way I would have remembered that guy. So, like, they don't set up the villains as um, particularly effective. So that removes all the tension of, you know, as I said up front, like, they aren't a worthy adversary for Brian Mills. Well, they don't even kill him. They just stab him in the leg. Well, I assume they killed him afterwards. Well, I suppose it's the whole 12A thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, with their track record, I wouldn't be surprised if they just slit his chest and hung him upside down and then just left. <laughs> <laughs> but very, like, loose rope yeah, so, so he, he could, could, you know, unravel <laughs> and get out of it. Yeah. Are, they, are these guys Scooby-Doo villains? Uh, Scooby-Doo villains are more fun yeah, and memorable. They're more memorable, for sure. I would have got away for it if it wasn't for you damn Liam Neesons. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, I think before we wrap up, I kind of want to throw it out to everyone for final thoughts. Uh, let's start with Levi. What have you got for us? Any final thoughts on the film? I mean, in in two words, I would say cash grab. Um, it, 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 felt, it felt very much like 
no one cared about this film. They just saw the numbers from the first film and thought, let's try and recreate that again without putting any real thought into the film. Not only is it like poorly written, but like I, I can, you know, we said I can, I can do like badly written films if they're fun, but this film is taking itself seriously. So you, so you don't really find yourself laughing that much, even if you're laughing at it and there's not much of anything going on. So it's just a, it's just a boring film. I think that's his biggest sin. It's boring, boring cash grab. <laughs> um, yeah. Hassan? Final, final thoughts. Um, I, I totally agree with Levi. The film is utterly soulless. Um, <laughs> if I were to, to sum it up quickly, I would say watch John Wick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the best thing I could say. If you want to watch a competent action movie, a revenge movie, Watch John Wick, or even better, watch The Raid. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As you say, The Raid's not got any spy tin- tangent to it, does it? Not really, unfortunately. Number no. two kind of has some. Two kind of has some in- internal affairs and some cloak and dagger stuff going on. You can swing it if you really yeah. want. <laughs> hey, we-, we did Men in Black International. We can do whatever we want here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Cam? Um. Yeah, like, to me, it's just it's such a nothing and i think i don't know why they felt compelled to repeat the first movie in so many ways because i don't think there was like that many taken purists out there who were going to get angry if they didn't get the exact same movie i think you could have had liam neeson just go on a job or something like follow that character doing other action things you could have worked in maggie grace in some way i'm sure um if you really need to but that would have been more compelling i think to watch this movie Oh, man, it was out of my mind the second I watched it the first time, and the same here. The only thing I kind of just, like, wish this movie had more of, just for my own entertainment factor, not because it would have made the movie good, is more just, like, really dorky eye-rolling moments, like the whole dinner with the, or the whatever, the milkshakes with the boyfriend at the end. Moments like that that feel like they're ripped out of a Full House episode, throw more of those in because at least I can laugh my head off at them. This movie doesn't have enough to laugh at. 100% agree with that. Mm. I wish this film had more scenes uh, with uh, Liam Neeson looking at the Jamie character. I wish people looked at me more <laughs> the way he looked at Jamie at the end. He was just so... Such, a, <laughs> such an adoring look at him. I was like, oh, God, I wish people looked at me that way. One day, one uh, day. And yeah. I-, I wish the movie had more of a point of view on the boyfriend. Yeah. Because the thing about the boyfriend is, like, I Liam Neeson's suspicious of him. Um I don't know. Is he a good dude? That's fine. But like establish him as a good person. Have a scene of him talking to Maggie Grace, showing that this guy's a decent dude. And I go, great. I'm glad to see that Liam Neeson approves of him at the end versus this version where I'm like, I don't know. Maybe the guy is a scuzzbag. What do I know? The film doesn't care. It, it's really like dads to the audience. Dads, don't you know? Don't you remember when your daughter brought home a man? You know, wasn't you a bit wary of him too? That is it. That is all you need to take away from that. It, it, it's that lazy. <laughs> This just came to my head, and it's a shame that it did, but maybe they did try and write him as a good character, but because they're just not able to understand what good people are actually like, they didn't do it correctly, (laughs) because his version of a good moral act was when she says, I'm not ready to have sex right now, he goes, yeah, okay, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And that is an all-star in the Taken verse. Yeah. He didn't sexually assault her. Round of applause, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Veritas medal. <laughs> Give him all the applause. Hey. Yeah, that, that's, that's maybe my concern with that. Do you know the scene I really wanted from the boyfriend? Mm. 
the the scene I would really have loved is if the boyfriend took Liam Neeson to the side and was like, "You can't just turn up in my house, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you just no, I don't care. <laughs> Boundaries, like respectfully." Just, I want to say, like, if you do it one more time, I will find you <laughs> and I will kill you. <laughs> Taken six. Yeah, <laughs> you franchised it. Taken away. Let's go. We're taking over the Furious franchise. Let's go. Too, too, too taken, too furious. Um... <laughs> oh my god, don't do it. <laughs> Wait, no, it, no, no. It's, it's take the taken take drift. Let's oh go. My god. I can literally <laughs> see it. Dom. And Liam fighting in <laughs> Turkey with I don't know lightsabers. Oh my god! On, on. Oh my god! It's it's about family. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my days! Yes, yes. <laughs> They're in the same universe, guys. Confirmed. They're a family of spies. Let's Confirmed. go. Take, Taken and Fast and Furious, the Fast Saga, are all in the same universe. Okay, we we have done it. Um, my final thought before we get to the knock list is I wrote this down in my notes, something it reminded me of, and that is the television show Prison Break. Oh, okay. So uh, I've only watched the first couple of seasons of it, but the gist is they break out of prison and then they end up back in prison and they break out of prison and then they end up out of prison and they break back out of prison again about four or five times. And it's just like, how do these guys keep ending up in prison? They must be pretty shitty human beings. And again, it's like, you're right, Cam. It, it would have been more interesting to see Brian Mills on a mission and having to be more of a spy than having him have to go through the whole process of being taken again. Yeah. And it, and that's why I said derivative. Yep, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Um. All right, gents, I think it's time. Knock list, taken two... Is it happening? Taken 1 did not make the knock list, but hey, we give everyone a fair shot here. So is the sequel to Taken, Taken 2, Took, Taken Too Far, Retaken, <laughs> or Taken 2, Take Harder, making the knock list? Uh, guest first, we have four votes today. Hassan, you're up first. Is it making the knock list? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. No. <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> I was about to throw you off I was about to throw you off okay yeah <laughs> wait 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 I'm impartial I'm impartial sure sure yeah it's fine okay so that's one <laughs> no that's one no Levi um taken to no but took yes whatever that means <laughs> <laughs> it's a no from me oh yeah so we've got two no's Cam I'm gonna give a very gruff no. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's probably quite obvious. I think it's also a no from me. This, um, it's a shame. I think they had some really cool ideas somewhere in there that they just never fleshed out or even tried to flesh out. And so you just get this really boring beige vanilla film uh, cookie cutter paint by numbers. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's the Men in Black 2 of the Taken franchise. <laughs> but there's there's less scenes of Will Smith in tubes to laugh at, I suppose. <laughs> um, well, there you go. That is four votes against Taken Two. That's a damning appraisal, and as such, it is not making the knock list. Um, but oh, Cam. But <laughs> really, Cam. I I think that we need a vote. I'm calling a vote on this one. Oh. Um, so I don't know, gentlemen, if you're familiar, but we have the disavowed list where we highlight the worst spy films and some of the movies that have made it on. We have Men in Black 2, Men in Black International, uh, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, 
Um, Scott, what am I missing? Uh, the two Harry Palmer TV films. Right. Yes. So it's more about um, there's a certain level of bad spy movies that we feel don't you know belong on kind of the the list of the ones that just didn't make the list. They deserve a special award for being that oh, bad. Razzies. I am curious. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's our Razzies. It is. Yeah. Yes. So I'm curious. You know, we'll start with Hassan. Is this movie bad enough to be considered one of the all time you know worst spy films? Oh my god, yes, because it's not, it's not even a spy film. And it's maybe one of the worst films I've seen in a long time. And I just watched Fast 9. <laughs> mm. <That's so> true. <laughs> okay. Okay. I hadn't thought about this, actually. I hadn't thought about this. Uh, Levi, what do you think? Um, I'm going to agree as well, because I feel like some of like the films that you mentioned, like Men in Black 2 and things, those what they have in common is they kind of like sequels slash things. It's like, oh, that thing worked. Let's just put it through the ringer and do it again. And this this film falls under that category for me. And AI could have made this script. Hassan knows how I feel about AI scripts. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. We love them. <laughs> Soulless. Uh, well, I think, uh, I think I know Cam's answer because he suggested it. This is me getting revenge for, uh, you know, follow up on my review uh, back in 2012. So for me, it's a yes. Like, I cannot argue for this not making disavowed when Men in Black 2 did. This is entirely belonging right beside Men in Black 2 on the disavowed list. You see, a part of me wants to run to the aid of this film. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, some of the films that are on the disavowed list are so egregious. They are, I mean, they're, they're the pit stains. They're the pizza burn on the world's mouth. <laughs> you know, it, it's that bad. I, I don't know if Taken 2 is that bad, and I wonder if Taken 3 is even worse. But then again, Men in Black 3 didn't make the disavowed list. It was perfectly fine. Nope. Uh, at least tried to do something interesting. So, did I hate this film? Would I want to watch it again? Yes, I hated this film. No, I wouldn't want to watch it again. Disavow this sucker. Boom. Boom. There we go. We accomplished something today, gentlemen. It was worth it, guys. It was worth it. And you're our first guest to disavow something. So congratulations. I was going to say, I'm glad we could review a film so bad that it goes (laughs) disavow this. (laughs) (laughs) You get a special entry in letterbox.com now as as having, it's like a badge of honor. You know, you've been, you've been through it. So congratulations, I suppose. Um, Well, there you go. That is four votes. And as such, Taken 2 is making the disavowed list. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, as you say, it's been disavowed, and as such, the dossier on Taken 2 is filed and marked as disavowed. Now, before we talk about what we're doing next week, gents, Levi, Hassan, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Again, thank you for having us. Yeah. Sorry to drag you in for Taken 2, but we will pay you back down the road with a better film. That's what we do. That's what we do. It's a trial by fire, as we like to say. But, um, you know, where can the listeners hear more from you? Okay, you can find us on Twitter at The Nerd Alternative and Reddit at The Nerd Alternative without the E. You can find us on Instagram at The Nerd Alternative. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Breaker, Podchaser, Pretty much everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. 
um please give us a review or come chat to us about video games and movies thank you very much awesome and we'll have links to that in the show notes so anyone can click on those to find um nerd alternative so yeah again thanks so much for coming on guys and it gets a solid vote from me i mean you know you're both you're both fellow londoners you know we're all in the trenches together here in this glorious city yeah hey mate what side of london are you from can i ask scrutinizes well it's uh it's all it's all secret oh. over here you see i can't i can't reveal this sort of information it's classified mm. But uh, I, I might, I might send Mom's you a word. yeah. You never know who's going to turn up with spies these days. Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but uh, gents, again, thank you so much for joining us. And guys, the, it'll be in the show notes. But do go and follow Nerd Alternative over on Twitter as well. Just make sure you're following them. They're always putting some great stuff out, and you can check out their episodes through there. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Cam, before we talk about what we're doing next week, we have a quick message from that UFO podcast. Roll that clip. Hi everyone, my name is Andy and I host That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast brings you weekly content with some of the biggest names from around the world of UFOs, UAP and associated phenomena. Weekly interviews, roundtable discussions and breaking news podcasts with myself, regular co-host Dan and sometimes special guests will drop in too. That UFO Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you can download podcasts. Already having hosted names like Luis Elizondo, Sean Cahill, George Knapp, Avi Loeb, Brandon Fugo, Ralph Blumenthal, and many more. I hope you come and check us out, and as always, keep looking up, you never know what you might see. That was the That UFO podcast. They are another proud member of the uh, Quite The Thing Media Podcast Network, along with ourselves, so do go and check them out. You know, There's been some great ufo information that's come out recently it's all the rage on places like reddit uh, i don't really understand it i really hope the aliens don't exist but uh, i won't get into that on here <laughs> um but uh well uh, you know you never know the taken universe could have aliens in it oh my no. god hey don't give them ideas black, it could all be linked it could all be linked well it's got fast <laughs> and furious in this universe hey let's put men in black in there and to be fair aliens could take us away i see you dominic know. racing um in a UFO in Fast Twenty, I'll see it. Yeah, <laughs> if he drifts in a in a UFO <laughs> around an asteroid belt, I am good. That's it. Cinema's complete. Let's go home, guys. It's done. Uh, things I never want yeah. to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So of course, check out that UFO podcast. You can find them on all major podcast apps. Cam, what are we doing next week? Well, we want to thank all the listeners for being with us for one year now of podcasting. And so we are giving them, all of you listening right now, we are giving you 1998's The Avengers with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. It's going to be a wild journey. We've got a big week of Avengers coverage. Boy, it is going to be something else. So tune in. You don't want to miss it. When when people say we're covering The Avengers, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I really love that film. Didn't the, didn't the, the guy made Buffy direct it? No, no, no. No, 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 not that Avengers. It's uh, it's the other one, the one we don't talk That's about. Right. The one we That's don't right. talk about. But yeah, we've got a great week lined up. And again, I also want to thank everyone. It's been a whole year of talking to you in your ears and strictly for your ears only, of course. And you know, we're pleased as punch you stuck with us and uh, joining us on this journey to find the best and it sounds like the worst spy movies of all time. And we've got a couple of interviews as well for the, the Avengers film. Some really interesting interviews, so stick around for that. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch 1998 Ray Fiennes, Uma Thurman, 
the Avengers and join us next week. We are a proud member of both Podbreed Network and Quite The Thing Media Network. You can find out more about those on their respective websites. And you can, of course, follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But until next week, listeners. One, two, three, four. Right turn. One, two, Three, man singing. Three, four, boat. Left turn, birds through. Three, four, five.